that diversity is our strength. The, the diverse perspectives that people bring add value, add strength to our culture and to the organization. But the, the key really is retention. And what I found is that uh, there are various sort of junctures, various sort of choke points over the career lifespan uh, where, you know, link leakage can occur. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Joseph West, Partner and Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Dwayne Morris LLP. During the episode, we discuss the key to a truly inclusive legal industry, strategies to retain diverse talent and keep employees engaged and motivated, and how to effectively promote and implement successful DEI initiatives. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Josie. Hello, Natasha. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Oh, lovely. So I'm so glad to, to have you join us today. Um, why not? Let's kick things off. Tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today. Yeah, so I am currently um, a partner in the complex litigation group at Dwayne Morris. Dwayne Morris is a global law firm uh, based primarily in the United States. The firm was founded in 1904 in Philadelphia. We branched out from there. We do have a presence in the UK and various cities around the world. We have 900 lawyers now in about 30 offices. Um, I also serve as a member of our partners board, which is the managing body of the firm globally. And I have the privilege of serving as the chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at the firm. Uh, I've been at Dwayne Morris since January of 2016. Uh, prior to that, I spent, I think, about four years as the CEO of the Minority Corporate Council Association. Uh, MCCA is one of the premier organizations focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the corporate legal sector in the U.S. Uh, it does and uh, publishes research reports, studies. Uh, it engages in advocacy around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, in the time that I was there, I was responsible for launching a number of training initiatives, the first of its kind, implicit bias training in the U.S., um, engaging both with corporate law departments at the highest level, as well as major law firms, helping them gain some measure of fluency and appreciation for issues around diversity, understanding the ways in which those issues have some currency from a business case standpoint, but also uh, in terms of helping to grow and develop diverse talent, uh, and also helping organizations gain an understanding about how to interface with lateral and external stakeholders in that space as well. Uh, we were fortunate in my time there to triple our membership base. And as I said, launch a number of really important initiatives, uh, a good number of whom, uh, of which have been sort of uh, modeled and copied by other entities within the profession, which is always a good thing, right? We like mm. to follow me. Good idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Isn't, I think, um, What's the saying? Isn't it imitation is the, the best form of flattery? 
it is the truest form of flattery. Yeah, you that's know? it. And, and listen, Natasha, as you know, because you've done such excellent work in this space, uh, just helping people understand and appreciate these issues and uh, follow through benefits everyone, really. Um, so there's no territorialism there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, we're all kind of sharing the same goal, right? So That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, prior to that, I spent five years in-house with, uh, I think, the largest company in the world, Walmart, uh, mostly in the class action complex litigation group, and about two and a half years uh, managing the global outside counsel management function. I was responsible for managing Walmart's relationships with all of its outside firms on sort of a, sort of a global basis, uh, just engaging in uh, vetting the firms and the timekeepers and stakeholders who we utilize as outside counsel and helping get them plugged into the different matters that were pending throughout Walmart's footprint. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, it definitely sounds like you've had a lot of experience um, and you've spent a lot of time in, in this work in trying to create more inclusive environments for, for, for all. Um, so for you, in your opinion and throughout your, from your experience, what do you think is, is key to building a, a more inclusive legal industry? Because I know, I mean, across organisations, there's, there's, there's loads of different strategies that are in place, but I'm really curious to hear from you from a legal standpoint, because that's a sector which um, historically and, and still is now is, is not as diverse. And there are a lot of, um, a lot of people that go into that w world, which they don't feel like they can really bring their full selves to work. So what, what do you think um, is a key way to, to try and kind of turn that around? Well, you're absolutely right. It's a critically important industry for a number of reasons. The, I think the most important of which is because uh, the legal industry, the legal aspect of every organization touches every aspect of the organization. It is uh, ever present and necessary, right? And so if there is leadership on these issues in the legal space, it can pollinate and often does pollinate throughout the rest of the ecosystem. But to answer your question directly, uh, I would say there are three things that I think are critically important. The first is commitment from leadership. Uh, if there is not commitment and an understanding of these issues from the leadership ranks of the organization, then uh, any effort to either diversify its ranks or help people better understand and appreciate the value of issues around diversity uh, is likely not going to succeed. Um, after that, there has to be an infrastructure in place. Uh, and, you know, that I think is probably the most important part of that infrastructure uh, is having people who represent some of the most critical functions within the organization. Uh, for example, um, at our firm, I chair the firm's uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, and we have liaisons. First of all, the committee itself is made up entirely of partners only, uh, and they are partners with a fair amount of gravitas within the firm. Many of them are practice group heads or uh, lead various offices. Uh, Tom Servadidio, who's the vice chairman of the firm globally, is a member of the diversity committee. So these are people with some stature, some gravitas within the firm. Um, I'm an equity partner at the firm. And as I mentioned, a member of our management committee, a lot of other firms, the diversity um, work is entrusted to someone. And I mean this with all due respect, 
who is either not a partner or maybe in some instances uh, not an attorney. Um, people in leadership in organizations respond to people they consider peers, people who they think have a sufficient amount of influence and gravitas both within the organization and outside of the organization. So that's critically important. We also have uh, liaisons from our recruiting function, our finance function, our marketing function, uh, who are members of the diversity committee. And that's important because after you have that commitment from leadership, there has to be a combination of people who are, uh, who have influence and who can implement, right? Influencers and implementers are equally as important. Yeah, and they need to be, like, as you said, they're spread across the different areas and, and sectors of, of the company, right? Yeah. That's exactly right. We have a, a good amount of both subject matter uh, diversity as well as geographic diversity. Um, we have uh, someone from our Singapore office who is on our diversity committee. We have uh, John Benjamin, who is a partner in our London office, who is a member of our diversity committee. And John's active with diversity-related issues with the Law Society of uh, UK and Wales, for example. I mean, those perspectives bring a lot of value to the endeavor, uh, and they also allow for the gathering and dissemination of information across a broad spectrum. And all of those processes are necessary to ensure that what we're doing uh, is successful. I think the third thing after you know, leadership and, and infrastructure um, is you know, really a commitment to, to sustainability. Um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, uh, and change uh, might seem uh, inevitable, but it's really not. And it requires uh, an effort. It requires work. Uh, it requires, you know, the willingness to continue to engage both with people who are adherents and even some who are naysayers. Yeah. I believe you learn a lot from naysayers, right? Um, but the work is important and it should continue. Mm, no, I, I totally agree completely. I think those three steps um, make so much sense. And I can definitely see how in order, if you do one and two, then I feel like the sustainability should really follow quite naturally. Um, I think I think that's right. And you know what? One other thing I'll add to that is uh, it's so important to tether results to some accountability measure, right? Um I don't understand why in some organizations people shy away from uh, embracing diversity as a really critically important uh, business tool and business objective. And if in fact it is a critical business objective, then people should be rewarded for making progress in that space and incentivized to do so, regardless of how you know that takes place. Uh, just as you would any other important business objective. If your business depends on growth of a certain client base or customer base, and people responsible for that receive some financial recompense as a result for accomplishing and achieving those objectives, I don't see why you shouldn't also look at it the same way in the diversity space. Now, some people disagree with that approach. Uh, they think it, uh, you know, minimizes or cheapens or in some way diminishes the core moral value around diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
Um, I respectfully disagree. I think that moral imperative, that moral value is there, stands on its own. Uh, but the fact is, there are tons of studies, tons of studies that show that there is a business case to be made for embracing diversity, for having a diverse workforce, and having an inclusive environment. And if, in fact, there is a business case to be made for that, then we should reward people if they achieve uh, business-related objectives in that space. Yeah, and also I feel that sometimes there's a psychological element. Because, I mean, if I'm if I'm told, like, this is what we, this is the direction that our organization is going in. And so if these, if we have individuals that are achieving this goal, which all we already know morally is the right thing to do anyway, um, then naturally I'm going to want to be like, oh, okay, I, I, I definitely want to do that. I definitely, that's, that's where I want to go. I want to stay in this direction. I want to achieve my goals. And if I then get rewarded for that, then of course I'm going to want to stay stick around and want to continue doing those behaviors because I'm I'm going to be rewarded. I did, I I mean I I completely understand where people feel like the like morally it may well diminish it if you incentivize but honestly I feel like the the where we are in the way the world works there is there does need to be some sort of reward or incentive tied to some of these um initiatives that that we are putting in place in order to create the right environments that we want to create and and have the diversity at the level in which we we feel that it should be at um because just asking people to do the job is not enough <laughs> unfortunately so you're, you're, look you're you're absolutely right and uh that's well said i'll give you an example um, early in my tenure with uh, the Minority Corporate Counsel Association, MCCA's board of directors consisted of general counsels of some of the largest companies in the world. Microsoft has a seat on MCCA's board. Uh, I was invited by uh, Brad Smith. Brad was the general counsel at Microsoft at the time. He's now the president of Microsoft and the vice chairman of its board of directors. Uh, he invited me to their headquarters out on the West Coast uh, in in and to give a presentation and a training session. And then I had dinner with him and his direct reports afterwards. Uh, you know, Brad famously uh, created a program where um, the outside law firms that did business for Microsoft at the end of each year, if they met certain goals and objectives and metrics around diversity, the diversity uh, makeup of their own firms, as well as the makeup of the lawyers doing work for Microsoft, they received a sweetener. I mean, they received a two or three percent um, bonus on top of what they billed and collected as a reward. Uh, and by the same token, um, his own direct reports within the company, uh, a certain percentage of their bonus was withheld if they didn't meet their own agreed to diversity metrics. And it's interesting because I remember having a conversation with him at dinner about the program. And I said, well, how many years has this program been in effect? And I can't remember. I think he said maybe four or five years. And I said, well, how many years has anyone missed their bonus? And he said, just the first year. <laughs> which, which tells Everyone you. Everyone learned. <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. oh okay he's serious I mean, about this this is yes. we're definitely doing this and we're exactly. committed they're committed yeah 
when you've connected to money, it clarifies the mind. You'd be amazed how <laughs> focused someone yeah, is. Yeah, do you know what? I'm not even surprised. Um, <laughs> if, In all honesty, I, the way that the world is, at the, as I said, it is like there, I'm for, like, there will always be a monetary element into what drives people. There will be a monetary aspect because unfortunately kind of um, – the makeup of our world and how we thrive and well, how we survive and, and, and kind of continue on. Um, there does need to be kind of a, a monetary incentive, I feel like, in, in some some respects. But at the same time, I think as long as you have, when you have these sorts of incentives, as long as there is a quality assurance aspect to it, do you know what I mean? Like an oversight and, and someone overseeing, actually, how did we get here? what were the behaviors that we demonstrated in order for us to achieve this goal if there is a review and a a deep dive into how did we even get here how did we even achieve these goals um just to ensure that we are kind of modeling the right behaviors in which we outwardly display then i don't think that there's there's anything wrong with having the incentive in place i I agree. Well, let's let's look at a couple of other examples that sort of make this case, right? Um, I was recruited to Walmart by uh, the former general counsel, a guy by the name of Tom Mars. Mars, like the planet, M-A-R-S. Uh, Tom was charged with the responsibility for sort of expanding and upgrading the legal department. I mean, the company had grown so so quickly, you know, from a small regional concern tucked away in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas to a global Fortune One, right? And it needed um, to expand its legal department. It needed, you know, um, and, and I mean this with all due respect to the people who were at the department there who had done a fantastic job, but it needed, you know, people with broader skill sets and experiences who could service this global company. Uh, and so almost by sheer happenstance, he attended an event uh, of, I think, the Minority Corporate Council Association. He also attended an American Bar Association diversity event. And he was exposed to a much broader array of diverse talent, women and minorities, uh, who were experts in many, many different areas. And he had, his words, not mine, an epiphany. And so he went about engaging with a wide number of affinity bar organizations and actually recruiting people at those events. I was recruited through uh, the Minority Corporate Council Association uh, and the company I worked at before Walmart, Entergy Corporation, which is a publicly traded utility company. Entergy is unique. It does all its litigation in-house except for a very small portion. And I had tried a, a ton of cases to verdict. And so he recruited me into the litigation department. And it's interesting, um, in the space of about 18 months, the department tripled in size. It went from 11% minority to 35%. It went from 23% women to 45%. Uh, And by his own words, the department got better. He brought in people with broader skill sets and experiences, the quality of the work, the responsiveness, the level of engagement with its internal business clients. And the same thing happened as we increased the diversity of uh, women and minority owned firms who did work outside the company. 
and women and minority relationship partners in major firms. So I tell that story because it's, in, it's illustrative of the fact that issues around diversity and inclusion and excellence are not mutually exclusive. Uh, in fact, quite the contrary, they are interdependent on each other. Um, uh, uh, something else that makes that point exceptionally well about the benefits of diversity and how it inures to the whole uh, is a study that was released in September of 2020 uh, that was conducted by Citigroup. Uh, and if you just if you just type in your browser um, the cost of racism Citigroup study, it'll come up, right? Citigroup did an exhaustive study, and what they found is that in the United States alone, between 2000 and 2020, because of racial bias against African Americans in four areas, housing, uh, educational disparities, uh, lack of access to entrepreneurship, uh, and healthcare disparities, because of uh, inequities in just those four areas, the United States lost 16.5 trillion in GDP in that 20 year period. Wow. And so what that means is that tackling, identifying barriers to inclusion certainly would have benefited the people who were being uh, affected, but more importantly, would have, been, would have benefited the whole. It would have benefited the entire GDP of the United States and a 16.5 trillion benefit to the GDP of the United States benefits the global economy. Uh, so um, anyone who doesn't understand, doesn't appreciate the value, the business value of diversity, uh, need only look at that study to have an appreciation for how critically important it is. Mm. And that kind of leads on to my next question, actually, in talent retention. So yeah. you've gotten all, you've, you've kind of, you're, you're getting more people in the door that are coming from different backgrounds that underrepresented groups women um disabled people neurodiverse like you're, you're getting the, the diversity through the door but how do you keep them so what would you say is a good initiative or strategy that you you feel is an effective way to to really kind of retain that talent that's an excellent question natasha you're quite the expert here <laughs> no uh, way not at all <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you're getting really to the heart of the matter because, look, the, the fact is diversity is about the workforce, but inclusion is about the workplace. Mm -hmm. right? Once you bring a diverse slate of candidates, uh, and, and that includes all races and genders and uh, LGBTQ status, people with disabilities, the full sort of um, constellation of individuals who we find in society and who we bring into the workforce, right? Because that diversity is our strength. The, the diverse perspectives that people bring add value, add strength to our culture and to the organization. But the, the key really is retention. And what I found is that uh, there are various sort of junctures, various sort of choke points over the career lifespan uh, where you know link, leakage can occur, where you lose talent. Mm -hmm. And the key is to identify, and every organization is different. Every organization has its own different set of choke points, its own different pain points, right? The key is identifying where that leakage is occurring. For some, it's in the recruiting process, biases in the whole process, right? Not casting a broad net, 
uh, only gravitating towards the same usual suspects or usual sources of talent. Uh, for others, it's a question of the assignment of work or the evaluation of work or the lack of a mentor or a sponsor, right? A mentor is someone who helps you with your skill set. A sponsor is someone who utilizes capital on your behalf. Both are important to helping your growth and development in the organization. You know, sometimes there's even bias around when and how and under what circumstances people are separated from the organization. Some individuals may be treated differently from others. Some individuals may be given second, third, fourth chances if there's a mistake and an opportunity to learn and grow, whereas others might get that quick hook the first time there's an issue, right? So you really have to look at those choke points. Uh, I'll give you an example of uh, something that we did at our firm and that I've implemented with a lot of the clients that our diversity uh, consulting service uh, services. Um, you know, we took a really good look at why some of the diverse lawyers, particularly the associates, were leaving our firm. Um, and number one, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, it's a little different from the, you know, middle ages when I started practicing. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't know, that long ago. Don't be silly, well, Joseph. You, Come Natasha, on. You're being, you're being kind. <laughs> I don't deserve it, but I'll take it. So thank you. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot more fluidity. Uh, you know, younger, not just lawyers, but people entering the, the workforce, they tend to move around uh, quite a bit more. So some of that is to be expected. But what we found in our firm culture is fantastic. It's very collegial, very collaborative. The Harvard Business Review did two case studies on Dwayne Morris's culture and how it contributed to the firm profitability being as collaborative and collegial. So we typically didn't have associates who just, you know, threw up their hands and pulled their hair out and left saying, I hate this place. That didn't happen. Um, but uh, in, in a few instances, we had diverse talent leaving because they weren't being given the opportunity. I mean, we were experiencing, we, we went to great lengths to recruit amazing talent. And in some instances, the work assignment system, you're newer to the benefit of some, but left others sort of to wither and die on the vine career-wise. Mm. So what we did was we implemented a blind rotating assignment system in some of our busier practice groups, like the trial practice group. That's what we call our litigation group, where there are frequent assignments, and we incentivize all the partners in those groups who had a book of business, myself included, to utilize the associates in their groups on a sort of a blind rotating basis so that everyone had the opportunity and it cut our attrition in half, um, diverse attrition, but also non-diverse attrition, because you had some white males who weren't getting an opportunity uh, as well. So again, this is an example of, of, of a tool that can benefit everyone. Mm. And the fact is, in large firms, as is the case in most large corporations as well, attrition is expensive. You spend time training people, you spend time giving them benefits, and you spend time with them gaining institutional knowledge. They gain the knowledge of their external stakeholders, their customers, their clients, and then you move them, right? Right. So it makes sense to really to look a deep dive into why people are leaving and to do whatever you can to make sure that they feel welcome there 
and that they have the opportunity to contribute and to grow and develop. Mm. No, definitely. I, I totally agree. That's that's some fantastic advice. And it was that's a great example, I think, in in how you can really if taking a step back and doing a, a further deep dive into to where your organization is at and asking the questions that need the, those tough questions that need to be asked and not shying away from the answer. I think no, it's quite right. important, especially with this work, because not everybody is perfect. And I don't think everybody, you're, you're not always going to get it right all of the time. And I think it's it's important that you, that, that organizations really take the time to really stop and, and look really at where they're at and identifying those pain points, which can be difficult. But yeah. as you've explained and as you've shown, it, it makes all the difference. Difficult, um, but necessary, right? Um, it's just not really possible for you to have growth without having to have the institutional fortitude to address some of the challenges in your organization, identify the places where there are barriers to inclusion, and being willing to do what's necessary to eliminate those barriers so that the talent you bring into the organization, to your point, uh, have an inclusive environment in which to to thrive really so joseph what is what's been your biggest challenge um that you've experienced and that you've faced in promoting diversity equity inclusion so i was asked that question um 2019 i i was honored enough to receive the inaugural lifetime achievement award from chambers um for diversity equity and inclusion and I was asked that very same question. And, um, you know, I, I, I said, I, I would say uh, two things, uh, educate and advocate. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a growing level of fluency that people have, particularly in the corporate space around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, but there's still quite a bit of a learning gap I think, um, especially at some of the leadership ranks um, of issues around diversity, how important they are, issues around inclusion, inclusiveness, around equity, how critically important they are, how they resonate, how they land with uh, people within various organizations. Uh, and that information gap is what continues to stifle um, growth stifle creativity uh, and stifle the, the ability of organizations to really make progress in this space. So that's the educate piece. As far as advocate is concerned, um, you know, I've been working in this space for a long time, uh, long before sort of like the current, you know, what I'll call the post George Floyd moment where, you know, the whole world was galvanized by the murder of George Floyd and the sort of reckoning around issues of race that um, impacted people in pretty much every corner of the world. Uh, and it, it really is about ensuring that you um, become an advocate for these issues, uh, not just for underrepresented or for marginalized groups, 
um, but also for the benefit of the whole, for the benefit of society. Uh, in no corner of the world can we afford to have uh, major portions of the populace not engaged, not respected, not utilized, uh, and not uh, being given the tools to be successful. And so I, I think as we continue to educate uh, mostly leaders, but people across the spectrum, and also advocate for uh, the greater utilize, utilization for uh, of diverse talent, um, you know, those things remain challenges, but also opportunities. And they're challenges and opportunities that I welcome. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Joseph. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. It's been, been so insightful. Um, just before you leave us, could you give one piece of parting advice to the DEI leaders out there of tomorrow? Yeah, I think the, the most important advice I would give to uh, DEI leaders, not just of tomorrow, but of today, mm -hmm. uh, is to remain hopeful. Um, you know, I'm despite the fact that, Natasha, you refuse to believe how old I am, <laughs> uh, I am old enough to recall when things were much, much more bleak. Uh, and there has been progress. Uh, there is a greater level of understanding of these issues. And I think a greater appreciation for how these issues um, resonate and how important they are. Uh, far, far more than there were when I first entered the workforce. And so what that tells me is that, uh, you know, th there is there is reason to be hopeful. I happen to be uh, an optimist at heart. Uh, and I think that, you know, despite some of the pushback, some of the resistance that you see in some quarters uh, in various parts of the world, uh, in, in Europe, in the UK, in some quarters, certainly in the United States as well, um, I think inevitably, People will come to understand and appreciate these issues and exert a willingness to implement them in a way that benefits the whole of society. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Thanks so much, Joseph, again, for joining us. And for our listeners, if um, you want to connect with Joseph, how can how can they connect with you, Joseph? Yeah, so uh, Dwayne Morris is my firm. Uh, you can go to the, our website. Uh, my contact information is on there. I'm also on LinkedIn. And um, I, I really, Natasha, just want to say before we uh, end the conversation, what a huge fan I am of you and your work, um, the work that you're doing, the people who, whose voices you are uh, playing a major part in elevating out there into the discussion. It's really, really important. So I just want to I want to uh, thank you for all the work you're doing as well. Oh, thank you so much. I do appreciate that, Joseph. And thank you for all the great work that you have been doing and you continue to do in this space. It's, it's important. It's valued. Um, and I'm excited to see what more great things come, come your way. Um, so once again, all the listeners, I will be putting down below the, the description links to um, Dwayne Morris, the website, as well as um, Joseph's uh, links for LinkedIn. So you can connect with him also over there. So once again, thanks a lot, Joseph. Thanks, Natasha. Be well.